Fantastic. Well, let me add my welcome to those that you have uh, received already. Um, for those who have not met before, my name is Rich, I'm the pastor here, and I'm going to be helping us to look at this wonderful psalm together. As we come to it, let's pray. Father, we do come to you, our Lords, and we ask, Father, that you would please help us as we look at this, this great psalm this morning. Father, please, would it be a word for us? Would you help us to understand not only what it meant back then, but what it means for us? Uh, please, Father, would you speak to us through it and change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week in our little series in these Psalms of Laments, the, the cry from Psalm 44 was, Why? Why, Lord? Why is it that you've rejected us and turned your face against us? Why is it that you no longer go out with our armies and we end up decimated and beaten by everyone? And why is it, Lord, particularly that that is happening to us when we've not done anything to deserve it? We've not been unfaithful to you. We've not rejected you and your words. There is no such complaint this week. The writer of this psalm is in the depths, but they know full well why they are there. They know that they are there because of their sin, because of their turning their back and rejecting God's. Some suffering that we go through in this world happens simply because we are living in a broken and fallen world. Things, things are wrong with it. Illness, disease, all those kinds of things just happen. Sometimes the suffering go through is a result of other people's sins. Sometimes suffering that Christians go through is because they are Christians, because they are faithful to God. Actually, that brings on more hardships. But sometimes we plunge to the depths because of what we've done. And that is the case in Psalm 130. This psalm helps us to know what to do when we come face to face with our sin, the reality of that sin, when we feel the, the horror of sin, when we feel the weight of it, when we are overwhelmed by shame and guilt. It's a psalm that helps us when we see what sin has caused. And uh, sometimes our sin results in direct consequences and bad consequences. If we're dishonest in a relationship, then there are consequences. We have lack of self-control in various ways. ways that there are different personal ramifications. You know, when laziness at work catches up with you, whatever it may be, what do we do when we're in trouble, but we brought it on ourselves? I've taken the title of this talk um, from the first line of this psalm. Let me read it to us. It's a song of a sense. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Actually, that is the extent of the lament of this psalm. Now, we've been talking about clap, the, the four different stages that we find through uh, different psalms, the crying out to God, the lamenting, the pouring out of the situation, the asking God to act, and then the praise or the trust. 
Actually, the lament section of the psalm is very small. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. But it is a rich and a vivid picture, isn't it? The depths in the psalms usually are relating to the sea. And so the depths, you know, right down at the bottom, you can't, it's so dark you can't even see it. There's a, a kind of, that's a struggle of looking for a picture of the depths, isn't it? But uh, the depths, you're down, being that kind of crushing, drowning, that place of distress, danger, fear, so deep you can't see the light. And then what, what was the cause of being here in the depths? Well, it was sin. As it's uh, put in verse 3 and verse 8, iniquity, or iniquities, is another word for sin. What is it that the psalmist cries out for? It's mercy, verse 2, and forgiveness, verse 4. Sin has brought the psalmist to the depths. That's what sin does. Don't be fooled. That is what sin does. Now, we don't know what the sin was and why it led him to the depths. It might have been, I guess, the sins themselves. So perhaps it was a big sin. Now, now we know that all sin is rebellion against the perfect God, and so in one sense all sin is, is the same because it's an offence against him. But in our minds there are probably some things that we consider to be big sins. So maybe this psalmist has committed one of those big sins. Maybe it's that indwelling sin, you know, that constant battle with the same thing. He's done it again and again and again. And those thoughts, you know, if I was really a Christian, then then surely I wouldn't be doing that. Maybe it's been a a lengthy backsliding. So so it's um, it's nothing big, as it were. But, you know, just a gradual drifting. You stop praying so much. Let bad language creep in. Careless with the way you interact with others. Can't, all of a sudden can't remember the last time you read your Bible. If it's a deliberate sin, you know, there's, there's something that, he knew, that the psalmist knew they shouldn't have done. And they were bound to do it. And then the Holy Spirit reminded them, no, that you shouldn't do it. And they've done it anyway. We don't know. It could, could have been any of those sins themselves. It, it could have been the result of the sins. Now, as we said, some sins have more immediate and direct and bigger consequences. Or maybe that it's simply the fact that their sins have just been exposed to them. Maybe there's something that they didn't know was a sin. And they go, oh, God's word says it is. Or maybe it wasn't aware that they were doing it themselves. And they go, I never knew I was that bad. Might be a renewed understanding of the seriousness of sin. We know if you spend any time in the Bible, we know that sin is a bad thing. But you know what? We we, we ask. We, we also know that we're to ask for forgiveness, and we do that. And, and we got so used to that that now the kind of seriousness of sin has slipped away, and you know it doesn't matter. But maybe they've been reminded. The point is, is that this psalm is wonderfully vague because it speaks to and helps us in all of those different situations. And just as we don't know, as it were, what, led, what sin was that led him to the depths, equally don't know what the depths was like. So we don't know whether it was a situation. What, was he living with the direct consequences of his sin? Now had he stolen something? And now he's desperately trying to find the money to pay it back and facing the punishments, possibly. 
Was it psychological, as so to speak? You know, was he racked by guilt? Those feelings, I can't believe how blatantly I've disobeyed God. Whether it's his situation or whether it's, as it were, in his head, at its heart, we know that this problem is spiritual. We know that the, his key concern was his relationship with God. But as I said, the ambiguity is helpful for us. This is a great psalm to, to adopt and to use ourselves. What do we do when we're confronted by our sin? If you're worried about your lunch today, don't worry. My introduction is the longest point. So we are getting into it. Here's our first point. Cry out to God. What do we do when we're faced, with the, face, we're face to face with the reality of our sin, we're confronted by it? Firstly, cry out to God. This is so basic and yet such an important reminder for us because so often our natural instinct when we have sinned is to run away, to run away from him. And I don't quite know why that is. I mean, I've got some thoughts and I'm sure there'll be different things for all of us. I think perhaps part of it is shame. How can I, as it were, face God? How can I come to him in prayer when I've just done that and I know I shouldn't have done it or I've done it again or whatever it is, that sense of shame? Maybe it's pride. Don't want to admit that I've done wrong. And actually, I'd be far better off let me just sort myself out first and once I've got myself into a kind of good enough state again, then, then I can do it. Maybe it's sometimes it's a kind of, I think it's doubling down on sin. You know, I've done that, well, might as well go and do whatever. I'll sort it out later. Maybe other things too. But, but no, first thing, cry out to God. Have a look down at verse 1 again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The, the words for cries and pleas are, are descriptions of what has happened in the past and that are still going on today for the psalmist. This isn't a one-time prayer. He has been crying out, pleading. He is desperate. And did you notice how he kind of doubles his request for God to hear him? Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. For him, down in the depths, God feels so very far away. And he's crying out saying, Lord, please hear me. Hear my prayers. Hear my cries. And what is he crying out for? Mercy. Hear my pleas for mercy. Be merciful to me. Show me favour. We'll unpack a bit more of what that looks like as we go through. But he is crying out to the Lord as he is the only one who could ever bring him, bring the psalmist out of the depths. As I, as I said, it is hard to, it is hard when the one that we have wronged is the only one who can help us. But he truly is. He is the only one we can turn to. I wonder this morning whether there'll be someone, some people here, you know, who, who've been running. You've been running and running and running. You're in the midst of that turning and running away from him. But the more you run, the more depressing it's got, the more guilty you felt, and the less you can ever think that you could come to him. Come to him. Cry out to him. That is the first step. He is the one we've wronged. Yes. But he is the one who we turn to. 
And far better yet, turn to him quickly, each and every day. The phrase, keep short accounts with God. Far better that we never get to the depths at all. When we sinned, turn to him. But even from the depths, the darkest place the psalmist could be, they cry out. They cry out to God. Secondly, admit your guilt. Admit your guilt. Verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's a, a teach, uh, sorry, there's a man in our, our previous church who was a, um, a caretaker of a school. And in clearing out uh, the, the school one time, he found the record of punishments from that book. So going back 50, 60, 70, 80, a long, many, many years, and it would be Rich Hall, talked back to the teacher, received three raps of the knuckles. It was literally stuff like that. This huge, long record of all the wrongdoing in that, um, in that school. It was quite funny to, to flick through it and look at some of those things. A bit terrifying on some of them as well. But imagine God had a book like that. And he was there constantly reading through our sins. Rich got angry for the fourth, oh no, fifth time today. I mean, seriously, right? It's a kind of silly image. But that's the point this was making. If God kept a record of our sins and he was constantly bringing them to remembrance, he was constantly going over them, flicking through them, who could stand? Who could stand before him? And by standing before him, it's talking about uh, the, the day of judgment. Coming back to the very first psalm here, Psalm 1 verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. If God kept that record of sins and was constantly going over it on the day of judgment, who could stand before him? No one. Everyone would be laid flat. Everyone would face his judgments, his punishments. No one could stand before him. You see here, the psalmist is recognizing and admitting his guilt before God. I am down in the depths because of my iniquities. But actually, that's where I deserve to be. Not just himself, anyone. Oh Lord, who could stand? Not just himself, but indeed every single one of us too. No one. But we admit our guilt before him. And again, this so often goes against the grain. um, I'm coming across a t-shirt a few years ago that on the front said, nature slash nurture. You know, nature nurture debate, is it? Because our genes or because of the way, the kind of environment. Nature nurture. And on the back it said, said, either way, it's my parents' fault. (laughs) Because we love that, don't we? We naturally want to shift the blame. When we're caught doing something wrong or we're accused of doing something wrong, what's our response? Or even if we say, yes, I know, I'm sorry about that. But what you really need to know is that this had happened. Or yes, I'm sorry for that, but but that happened only because of this. You see, we, we naturally want to try and make excuses, admitting our guilt, admitting our wrongdoing, and taking full responsibility for it is not something that comes naturally to us. 
We love to sweep things under the carpet, pretend they're not there, pretend they're not happening. It didn't happen. But now the psalmist admits that before the just God of the universe, who could stand against them if he kept that record of sins? Now this might seem like a bit of a strange place to, to start or near the beginning. He, wasn't he meant to be moving us out from despair, not kind of putting us more and more in it? But before we can truly grasp the significance and the beauty of forgiveness, there must be an awareness and an appreciation of our unworthiness before him. O oh Lord, who could stand before you? If you, O oh Lord, should mark our iniquities, O oh Lord, who should stand? Absolutely no one. And as we cry out to God, we admit that we are indeed guilty before him. Don't move on too quickly from there. Don't move on too quickly. But as we've said each week, these psalms of lament, they they hinge on these little words, yet, but, and sure enough, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Thirdly, be confident in forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness. And I love how that's put. Did you notice? With you. With you, there is forgiveness. God and forgiveness are like constant companions. They go everywhere together. You come to God, what do you find? You find forgiveness. And again, what wonderful news that is. In human thinking, actually, that rejects, often rejects the idea of forgiveness. You know, just think about your workplace. How many petty squabbles go on and are remembered years later? Maybe think of your children, previous best friends, and they haven't spoken for years because of some incident that happened. Bitterness is harbored. Resentment's held. With our world, there is so little forgiveness. With God, now with God there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And this is our sole basis for confidence. The sole basis for the psalmist's confidence there in the depths, crying out for mercy. Why does he think he might get mercy? It is not because God might look down and go, you're not that bad. Or say, I know you'd had a bad night's sleep. Or whatever it may be. No, his sole confidence is that with God there is forgiveness. And it is, it is a great statement of confidence. With you there is forgiveness. But again, as we've done through the, these series in the Psalms, how much more reason we have for confidence in these things than the psalmist ever knew. Paul writes in Colossians 2, And you... You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven, sorry, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Forgiven all our trespasses. Anyone who's come to him, who's cried out to him with their sins, forgiven all our trespasses. And that record of all those iniquities, those transgressions, well, it's been ripped up. 
he doesn't choose to bring it to mind. He doesn't pour over it again and again. Those big sins, all those little sins, been laid aside, nailed to the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus. But with you, there is forgiveness. With the Lord Jesus, there is forgiveness because that record of debt has been dealt with. We can be even more confident than the psalmist. And they were very confident. We can be even more confident. And that is why we can be confident when we cry out to him. When we're there and our natural instinct and urge is to run away, we go, no, with the Lord there is forgiveness. And we cry out to him. That is why we can admit our sins to him because it's not as though if we admit our sins to him, that's going to be it. We go say, yes, I really am that bad and therefore you're never going to have anything to do with me. No, we can admit our sins because with God there is forgiveness. Be confident, cry out to him. Admit and confess our sins. Remember that with the Lord, because of Jesus, there is forgiveness. And again, I just want to say again this morning, if you don't know that forgiveness, if you have that feeling of guilt and you don't know what to do with it, well, cry out to the Lord Jesus. Admit your sin before him. Don't try and hide it. Don't pretend it's not there. Admit it. Know that there is forgiveness for all who come and trust in him. Fourthly, Wait for God's assurance. So the psalmist has turned to God, cried out to him, admitted sin, his confidence that there is forgiveness, but it doesn't seem like his heart is, is settled yet. It doesn't seem like he has been brought out of the depths yet. It doesn't seem like he's got to that place of peace. And so he makes a, res- a resolution, one that he's, he's already started, Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. He's waiting. He's waiting for the Lord, for the Lord himself. He's waiting for God to come and change, change his heart, change the situation, to bring him up out of the depths. To bring that personal assurance that their sins really are forgiven. And do you see how he waits? Verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. You can kind of imagine that, uh, that scene. So you're, you're back then, one of the, the, the Jews stood on the, the city walls, looking out, watching for trouble. And it's been cold. You've been up for too long. Your muscles are kind of aching. And you're waiting for morning. You're waiting for that first ray of light to come up. How are they waiting there? Well, they're waiting eagerly. Come on. They're waiting expectantly. Morning will come, as it has done every single day this earth. Morning will come. They're waiting. They're staring to the east, waiting for that first light to shine. And that's what the psalmist says he's doing here. He's waiting for the Lord. 
Because there is one thing in, in knowing objectively about the forgiveness of the Lord's. There's one thing about knowing that Jesus has indeed died on the cross, uh, that our, our iniquities, our transgressions were nailed on the cross with him. It's one thing about knowing those things to be true, but, but sometimes it takes a bit of waiting until those things are applied to our hearts. And this waiting requires balance. We know there is forgiveness. We know there is forgiveness within, but we also know the weight weightiness of sin and sometimes we need to wait for God to apply those wonderful truths to our hearts and again I wonder whether sometimes we're a bit quick to move on to the two, we're a bit quick to go from verse 3 to verse 4 there is a time that it is right to grieve to lament to weep over our sin there is a time when it is right to feel that weightiness and we ask and look for the Lord so that his spirit to apply, his spirit to work that work of peace in our hearts. But did you notice though in verse 5 that there is great help for us? You see, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. As we're waiting for him to bring that assurance, that peace, to bring us out of the depths, well, we've got his word to hope in, to look at to give us confidence. In his word, we get to see who God is. We get to see that with him is forgiveness. We get to hear the promises of God. Jesus, he said, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. We get the promises, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We get the example of Bible characters. Every, other sing, every single Bible character other than Jesus is a testimony to forgiveness. And sometimes we get really big pictures of that. David, when he messes up. Abraham. Every, all of them. I'll go name them all. Every single Bible character is a testimony to forgiveness. So as we're waiting, waiting for him to, to bring us that peace and comfort, well, we have his word to hope in that reveals God, gives us those promises, gives us great examples. Wait for the Lord. And as we're waiting for him, we do so trusting in his word, hoping in his words. Finally, be confident in his love and redemption. The psalmist, having, as it were, walked the path, going from the depths, echoing, restating his confidence that God will bring him out of the depths, well, then he turns then to the, to the community and encourages them. Did you notice how verse 7 begins? Oh, Israel, God's people. I guess today we'd say church. And what does he say to them? Well, notice here as, as I read verse 7 and 8, what he encourages them to do and why he encourages them to do that and what promises he gives. First off, what does he encourage them to do? Verse 7, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Well, that I've done, you do it too. I found him to be this to be true. You do this to hope in the Lord. Put your confidence in him. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And what great promise, verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
just note again, again the, the, the reason in verse 7, just like earlier we saw, with the Lord there is forgiveness. Verse 7, with the Lord there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. What a great description. And again, we know the far fuller expression of this than even they did then. What is it that, that Paul says in Romans 5, uh, verse 1? God, what is the greatest demonstration of love? Of God's steadfast love that the world has ever seen. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word, uh, uh, love there again, is that our key word, steadfast love, that we've seen each week? And we've seen that steadfast love in Jesus. Jesus who came and said, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm going to pay that price in order to set my people free, to bring full redemption for every one of my people. So what do we do when we come face to face with the reality of our sin? Don't ignore it. Don't run away. Don't try and sweep it under the carpet. No, turn to God. Turn to him. Be honest with him. Admitting our sin. But be confident. Because he, we, we do those things turning to him because he, with him is forgiveness. With him is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. Turn to him and wait for him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you now and pray that these things of yourself that you revealed, you would show us them and make them so real and precious to us. Father, we praise you that with you there is forgiveness. We praise you that with you is steadfast love. We praise you that with you is plentiful redemption. We thank you that indeed you have redeemed your people by what Jesus has done. And yet in our sin, when we do sin, please, Father, would we be quick to turn to you? Would we be quick to uh, look to you and confess that we would know these things to be true for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.